From KGW News, this is Straight Talk with Laurel Porter. Hello and welcome to Stray Talk. I'm Laurel Porter. The pandemic we're all living through has led to a humanitarian crisis for many people in our area who don't have adequate shelter, food, sanitation, and services. Blanchet House in Portland does what it can to help. The nonprofit is marking its 70th anniversary on February 11th, 2022. For seven decades, it's been dedicated to feeding people who are homeless. They provide clothing and housing programs for people in need. But the executive director of Blanchet House, Scott Kerman, says the suffering they witness daily has only gotten worse during the pandemic, and they need more help. Scott joins us here on Straight Talk along with Terry Lecron Myers. Terry is the Evolve Director with the Mental Health and Addiction Association of Oregon. They're here to tell us more about the conditions people who are homeless are experiencing and their ideas for how the community can better respond. Scott and Terry, thank you so much for joining us here on Straight Talk. Thank you so thank you, much Laurel. for having it's us. Grateful to be here. First, well, let's find out a little bit more about your organization. Scott, a lot of folks have heard about Blanchet House, of course, in Old Town and downtown Portland, but they may not know a lot about you. Tell us more about what you do and who you serve. No, thank you for that. So Blanchet House, our mission is to provide food and shelter and hope uh, to people who are facing housing and food insecurity. And we do that through three programs. We provide breakfast, lunch, and dinner Mondays through Saturdays at our location at 3rd and Gleason in Old Town. We also have a residential program at this location. We can house up to 45 uh, men who have experienced homelessness. It's a long-term program, so it runs from 8 to 18 months. The idea is to give them enough time to really restore their lives um, so they can go back to working and living on their own. And then we have a very unique program in Carleton, Oregon. So that's just outside of Newburgh and that's Blanchet Farm. And this one of a kind program is a residential program for people challenged with addiction. And they live and work at our farm. Uh, we have therapeutic animals that they care for, pigs and chickens and goats. We have a beekeeping program. We just harvested our first um, batch of honey. Uh, we have a wood shop and we have all the things that you would expect a, a working farm to have. You do so much, but how are you funded? So we're funded independently. We, we don't receive any public funding. And so our budget is approximately $2 million a year. It's actually gone up due to the pandemic and the need to expand our services. And we fund ourselves through private donations, um, business donations, um, private foundations and grants, and, and really just the generosity of a community that has been with us uh, for some of these people for decades. A little bit later, we'll show people how they can help. Terry, you started at Central City Concern. You have had boots on the ground working with people who are homeless. Tell us a little more about your work at the Mental Health and Addiction Association of Oregon and the people that you serve. Well, thank you for asking. Um, as uh, we are the Mental Health Association Addiction of Oregon, we provide peer support services, which is unique because we are honoring the voices and choices of people that are suffering from all the different uh, things that happened uh, from mental health and going to jail and and uh, being houseless and being able to, um, we all have lived experience. And because we have lived experience, we know what it feels like to, to walk through all of these difficulties and uh, providing supports 
and connections in a way that is trusting, building trust and, and honoring their voices and not thinking that we know what they want, but being able to listen and truly take time. And peer delivered services is just one aspect of what we do, but we also have training. So we have certified trainings for our uh, peer support specialist. And we also uh, provide uh, professional development in our peer leadership program. And so we have multiple ways to supporting our peers as they're working boots on the ground, as well as learning how to sustain themselves. So with addiction and mental health, there is a lot of processes that we have to go through. So learning about what resources are going to be the best fit for us. What are some of the uh, what are some of the other partnerships that we can build together uh, to accomplishing sustainability? We offer so many important services. You know, the pandemic really has been a humanitarian crisis for many of the people you both serve. Will you share with us some of the things you've witnessed during the past 18 months, Scott? Well, well I, I mean, you really can't describe it in, in other than as a humanitarian crisis. I, I think certainly the the what we witnessed in the beginning weeks and months of the pandemic, I think most people would associate with news footage of developing countries, countries that have experienced famine, drought, perhaps even war. And it has really lingered like that 18 months later. You have to remember for, for people who are homeless, um, more often than not, they became homeless because of, of significant trauma in their lives. And, and just being homelessness is, is traumatic in and of itself. Mm -hmm. And so for the people we're serving, the pandemic layered another huge trauma on top of that. And like the interest in your savings account or your 401k, it, the trauma is just compounding for them every day. And then you throw in devastating heat waves and you throw in um, extreme cold and freezing temperatures in the winter, or perhaps choking smoke from fire. These are individuals who have been outside for 18 months without much recourse to decent rest, um, appropriate hygiene or sanitation. So imagine what that does to a person's mental well-being, um, to their struggles with addiction. And so we're just we're seeing a lot of of suffering, a lot of really intense psychosis. And it, it's frankly, it, it's it's heartbreaking. Um, it, there's, it, this is a emotionally difficult work that we're doing down here, because the the need often is is too big for us to serve in that moment, and it, it's our desire to, to to serve to that need, and it's 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 so extreme right now. That really drives it home, Scott Terry. What are you seeing? Well, I think that on top of to, to repeat what Scott said, it is exacerbated because of the, the, the pandemic. But what we found is, is that it, people, I'll give you an example. When I was out in Washington County at the shelter, there was a lady who had no shoes and she had no jacket on. And one of the things I asked her is, what is it that you would like right now at this moment? And she said, I just want a cup of soup. And she wanted to sit down and connect. She wanted to have her soup. She wanted to be able to uh, connect with me. And, and then slowly as she was getting warmer and she was connecting a little bit more, then did she realize what her needs were. And that is, yes, maybe a coat would work, would 
be better and and some shoes but sometimes when we're in such a trauma uh in a trauma uh place we don't even know what we need and and we don't even know how to tell you what we need and so services are sometimes it's like yes that seems like the right thing to do but i i don't even know what i don't know yet and so the the it's imperative for us to have our peers out there on the street because they know how to connect with people and and there's no better way to connect with people than someone who has been where you are so that is uh just just really needing to have the connection and taking the time and that's one of the things that we talked about is that at the doctor's office you only have a couple minutes to say what your needs are but on when you're in services the people on the streets do not have that luxury to tell you their story to tell you what their needs are well, thank you terry how has COVID impacted blanche house scott and, and how you're able to serve guests well, it, it, it affected us in every way that it could. So the so the the image behind me is, is our cafe in, in a in a pre-COVID environment. We could invite people inside, and we served restaurant style. Um, you could see it's a bright and airy room. There's there would be music playing. We have volunteers who are taking plated dishes and serving the tables, and really connecting with people in a, in a very relaxed and dignified environment. And many of the people who would eat with us at, inside Blanchet House would say that it made them feel normal again. It, it reminded them of a life before they were homeless and they would go to restaurants and enjoy a meal with friends and family. Of course, beginning on March 17th in 2020, we couldn't bring people inside anymore. We still can't. And so we're serving to go, as you can see in, in, in the video images. And so the challenge for us was to capture that the dignity and the compassion of our indoor service with our outdoor service. And then of course, what happened was um, we suddenly went from serving a thousand meals a day to 2000 meals a day. And that went on for a good part of 2020. And so we just had to scale everything up. And then we realized that the need went far beyond food, that the need for clothing, for hygiene supplies, for living essentials. So we've had to just add to our services um, all of these other components um, just to help people survive from day to day. And, you know, you have to appreciate when you're living on the street, your things don't last long. And if it gets wet because it's rainy, then that blanket and that clothing and that jacket, well, it's of no use anymore. You can't launder it, you can't dry it. So they have to come back for us and start all over again. And that's really what we're here for. It, 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 it doesn't matter if we gave you a blanket yesterday. If you come back today and you need a blanket, we're going to give it to you. And Terry, you know, on, along those lines, the change of seasons, we're, we're in fall now, we're going to start seeing more rain. How does that impact the people you serve and their needs? Well, what I found is that uh, even though we had the pandemic uh, started back in March, we have increased our services because people need to have people that they can connect with. So we have been boots on the ground in shelters and we have been boots on the ground in, in the tri-counties and uh, just just connecting with people and, and, and giving them hope and uh, allowing them to tell us what they need. And so if anything, we've increased our, our, um, our staffing by 30% because we could not keep up with all of the, uh, we were getting people from the warming shelters and people needing it from the volunteer isolation motels and, and that 
the pure surfaces were imperative so that the people could at least find a little element of hope and, and a way to get additional resources and walking through the difficulties of application processes of trying to find housing or going through and getting some medical care. And, uh, and, and thank goodness for, for the Blanchet because that has been imperative. We have two peers at the Blanchet right now that, uh, that really support the people that are at the Blanchet in the lines so that as they're waiting in line, they are feeling like they're welcome, wanted, and needed. And Scott, we only have about 45 seconds before we need to take a break, but I did want to ask you about, are, are you seeing people who've never needed help before at Blanchet House? Oh, absolutely. We see new people all the time. That was certainly true in, in 2020 in, in the early weeks and months of the pandemic. Uh, we serve more women today than we ever did before the pandemic. Um, and we have people who come up to our window and we can tell by the, by the questions they ask us that they are newly houseless um, and are really struggling to find services and, and to just figure out what to do. Well, Scott, I know you have some clear ideas of how the city can address this humanitarian crisis, and we're going to take a look at that when we come back. And as we go to break, we want to remind you that Blanchet House is funded by individual donations. If you'd like to donate, volunteer, or just find out more, this is the website, blanchethouse.org. We're back in two minutes. Welcome back to Straight Talk. I'm Laurel Porter. We're talking about how devastating the coronavirus pandemic has been on people who are homeless and how that's impacting the nonprofits trying to help them. And we're looking at possible solutions. Welcome once again to my guests, Scott Kerman from Portland's Blanchet House and Terry Lecron Myers, Evolve Director with the Mental Health and Addiction Association of Oregon. Once again, we're so glad to have you both here on Straight Talk. You know, in the first segment, we talked about how the challenging conditions brought on by the pandemic have really exacerbated the suffering of those who are homeless. And for many with mental illness, it's made things worse. How much has that stretched your resources, Scott, your staff, and your ability to serve people? Well, Terry mentioned in, in the last segment that they have had to increase their staff by 30%, and we have had to nearly double our staff and, and we're still lean when it comes to the expansion of services that, that we are faced with. And, and where we're really seeing a challenge is that because the community we're serving is really struggling from intense psychosis, mental illness and addiction and trauma, it makes the service that much harder. And it can often interfere with their ability and the ability of others to receive our services effectively and safely. And Terry, you mentioned that you had increased staff, but are you still having some difficulty meeting the great need out there right now? Absolutely, because for every contract that we get that is resolved for one shelter, there's another one that pops up. So we, you know, like Scott said, there was the, the fires, there was the, the warming shelters, they're, they're all the extremes. And so we're constantly getting uh, calls from various partners asking for some some more peer support to address the issues that are happening. 
You know, a lot of people, Scott, have probably heard about the city of Portland's plans for these safe rest homeless villages, six of them. By the end of the month, we should be hearing about the location for at least three of them. Do you think that those homeless villages are going to help? I do think they're going to help, and I think that they will be very helpful for, for many in our community who will be successful in a village. I'm hoping that they're going to have the support services, especially mental health services and support that the people in these villages will need. Um, but we also appreciate that there are many people in our homeless community who may not want to be in, in a village or a shelter. It, it may be that their mental, their mental illness and their addiction challenges are a real obstacle or barrier to, to being in one of these programs. It often is that they've had traumatic experiences in their lives in shelter programs and in, in other kinds of camp situations, and they do not want to revisit those and they would prefer to be to be on the street. And so we appreciate that that we're advocating for those people in our community. We want to make sure that they're not forgotten or left out. And we want to make sure that we have the resources and the support that we need to safely and effectively provide them services because they are literally fighting for their survival. Let's talk about some more solutions, Scott, because you're calling for a bold, innovative response. You wrote about it in a guest editorial recently in the Oregonian. What is your idea? What does it look like? So my idea is, is that the, the agencies in our downtown and old town district share teams of, of mental health and peer support specialists. We see many of the same clients and guests, and we experience as individual agencies, many of the same challenges in serving people who are in crisis. And we are fortunate to have an amazing peer support person with us at lunch and dinner five days a week. And it's amazing what her, her building relationships with people who come to us every day has done to, to enhance their experience with us and, and help to de-escalate crisis Imagine if if that existed everywhere and that when people went from Blanchet House to another agency for service, they also saw the same people. We would have this continuity of care from agency to agency, and we'd be able to collaborate in, in helping the people that we serve collectively to better outcomes. And then you talked about a little bit about how it might be like going to a, a doctor, a different doctor every time for your medical care, how difficult that would be. I think we've all had that experience, right? You've had a persistent health issue, and so you're going back to the doctor time and time again. And maybe every time you go back to the doctor's office, you see a different doctor. And how frustrating that is, you're starting over the narrative each time, and, and you feel like that is just really impeding, you know, your outcomes and your care um, because the care seems so siloed. Uh, and so we want to break down those silos. I think the agencies, we are deeply committed to collaboration. And so I think how wonderful it would be if we were sharing personnel from agency to agency so that when our clients go from agency to agency, they're seeing familiar faces who already know their story and, and know how to work with them effectively. Terry, when we talk about solutions and addressing the needs of people who are homeless, what do you think would be most effective? Well, I agree with Scott, and that is that we believe that uh, that's why we have two peer support specialists at the Blanchet location 
because we know that the collaboration and working in the community is imperative and that if we could and our peers will take people and 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 create a warm handoff and deliver services in a way that is uh more welcoming and uh and and also like scott said it's it's about being able to have people build trust and if you know that this person's going to be there and that person is it is a referral from Blanche and that they're walking from one place and that there's another person that can be handed off to that, that has the same idea of what your care is going to be and meeting people's needs. Well, people at home may be saying, it sounds like a great idea, but how would the teams be funded? Scott, how would, how would you get the money and how would collaboration between agencies be organized and coordinated? Who would oversee it? Right. Well, I mean, funding is, is, is really also at the heart of this because it would be cost prohibitive for an agency like Blanche House to fund this. Think of it as, as a school that doesn't have the resources to or the need for a full time music teacher. And so what does that mean? Does that mean that the students at that school go without music education? But what if that school was to collaborate with another school in a similar circumstance? And now they combined can share and pay for a, a music teacher who's providing music education at both schools. I think for the agencies in our corridor, if we share personnel and we're sharing the cost, then we can create meaningful full-time um, jobs for people in, in these professions and all benefit from those services. And I think in the end, it would be much less expensive for the county or perhaps the state to fund than if each individual agency was trying to carry this burden on its own. What are you hearing from agencies? Do, do they like this idea, but do they, are they ready to work together? Oh, absolutely. We We've been collaborating from the beginning. I'm sorry, Terry, please. I hear Terry saying yes. Mm -hmm. We do. <laughs> yeah, collaborating with MHAO for peer support. We, 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 have, we have demonstrated that this can be effective. And, and I think one of the things that we're, we're having conversations about as different agencies is understanding the importance of leaning on each other's expertise. Uh, we do two things really, really well at Blanche House. We provide hot, nutritious meals to people who are hungry, and we provide restorative shelter for people who are in need of an opportunity to get their lives on track. But we're not experts in peer support, and it would cost me a lot of money and time to ramp up that expertise. But the good news is, is I don't need to, because I have a partner in MHAAO who are experts in peer support. So we can collaborate together, and I can benefit from their superpower, and I can concentrate on our superpower. And I think there are a lot of agencies in our district, each with their own superpower, and it is time and there is a lot of interest among us to really start to band together. So just about 45 seconds for this question, Scott, but what's the next step? How do you get this started? Well, the, the next step is, is, is really just to, to keep generating excitement and interest for this program. I think drawing attention that we do need to devote some resources. Um, perhaps it would be you know COVID-related money, ARPA-related funds that could be used to help people with immediate need. And we still need to concentrate on all the other efforts, you know, permanent supported housing, the Metro bond funds are targeted for that support. I think we need to keep our focus there. And that, but I think there's room for us to, to, to really attend to both the immediate needs 
and also some long-term solutions. There are a lot of needs out there. Uh, what's the best way for people to help or get help? Uh, Terry, do you have a website you can tell people about? Yes, so we have mhaooforegon.org is where you can go on and access our resource page as well as referrals, self-referrals to our services. And once again, we want to show you the website for Blanche House where you can find out more, you can donate. Remember, they are supported by individual donations or you can volunteer at blanchehouse.org. Scott and Terry, thank you so much for joining us here on Straight Talk. And we want to thank you for everything you do for our community and its most vulnerable residents. Thank you for watching and listening. Remember, you can get Straight Talk as a podcast. Search for KGW Straight Talk wherever you get your podcasts. Join us next week. My guest is Commissioner Dan Ryan, who will tell us more about the city's plan for those six safe rest homeless villages. That's coming up next week. We hope to see you then. Have a great week.